and Zechariah. And you might say, well, where's that one? It's the penultimate book of the Old Testament. Or simply meaning one before the end. One before the end. Let's just read the first, first five verses of chapter 14. Tonight we're going to speak on the significance of the Mount of Olives. You'll hear some things tonight you maybe have heard. You'll hear some things probably a lot of you won't have heard. And you'll hear things that might even challenge you in your hearing. Zechariah 14 verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And you shall flee into the, to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal. Yea, ye shall flee, like as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. Keep your Bibles open. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you that you hear and you answer our prayers. And we ask you tonight, Father, for your Holy Spirit to be made known to our hearts and to our lives. Lord, that you speak to every one of us from this man. Lord, I'm nothing special. I'm just a man of flesh and blood. But I thank you, Lord, that you've brought this people here and you've brought me here under the sound of your word. Lord, we love you. Lord, we could have been lost and in the world tonight. But Lord, you came and reached us and saved us. You drew us, Father. We thank you that you love us. So, Father, speak to our hearts and to those that watch live, to those that are watching later. We pray, Lord, that you'd speak to them and bless them wherever they are in the world at this present moment in time. May this word be an encouragement, an instruction, and a blessing to all. So, Father, take us up and into thy spirit and presence this evening and glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is worthy of all of the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said, we are entitling this the significance of the Mount of Olives because some people read about maybe Gethsemane and that's maybe the height of it. But here in Zechariah 14 in verse 4 it says, shall stand in that day, that is the feet of the coming Lord Jesus Christ, shall stand in that day, talking about the second coming, Upon the Mount of Olives, notice that, which is before Jerusalem. Notice the geographical location of the Mount of Olives, before Jerusalem on the east. Why, why would it be before Jerusalem on the east? Because the sun rises in the east. And the Mount of Olives is a little further east than Jerusalem. 
Notice, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. This speaks of a great earthquake in the area when Jesus returns. Do you know that even geologists have found that there is a fault line, an earthquake fault line, and it runs from where? From the Mount of Olives to the Horn of Africa. A great, great earthquake is going to happen when he returns. Now, if you haven't seen like me and you haven't visited Jerusalem and you'd like to see around the Holy Land, well, we better go very soon. If we don't, it might be destroyed by the time we get there because Christ is coming. We believe he's even at the doors. So notice, first of all, about the Mount of Olives and the significance of it. We have the name place, the Mount of Olives. Secondly, we have the geographical position before Jerusalem on the east. And thirdly, we have the final prediction or prophecy, and that is that shall cleave in the midst thereof when his feet touch down upon it. Notice Zechariah verse 14, chapter 14, pardon me, and verse 5, the very end of our reading. My God shall come and all the saints with thee. So that shows us this is the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. My God shall come and all the saints with thee. In Revelation chapter 19, almost at the very end of our Bibles, the Lord Jesus is seen as the word of God, written down his thigh, pictured on a white horse, or a charger coming with the hosts of heaven. His name is the word of God, but his title is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it says in Revelation 19 and verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed him. Remember, Zacharias says, all the saints will come with thee. Now it's the armies which are in heaven are with him too. Then in Jude, the little one chapter epistle near the end of your Bible. And listen to what it says. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. So you can see Zechariah's prophecy fitting in with John, now fitting in with Jude, because it's the spirit of prophecy. It's the testimony of Jesus. And the spirit of prophecy is testifying of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 21. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. Jesus is coming to punish sin. Those who are not cleansed from their sin by his precious blood, believing in what he's done in Calvary, has cleansed them from all their sin. And so we're told here that the Lord is coming out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. See the word iniquity there? It's a word avon. Do you know what it means? For their perversity. Perverse thoughts, perverse lifestyles, perverse upon all that is against the word of God. It means perversity. It also means depravity. And it also means he's coming to punish those who are still in their guilty condition. It says to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity and the earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. What does it mean the earth shall no more disclose her blood or cover her slain? There's a little hint of it in Revelation chapter 16 
And verse 6 it says, For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. Now hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And what is John saying uh, in Revelation 16 and verse 6? What the Lord is telling John for you and I to know is that those things that have been hidden up, it gives the idea of the innocent, those who have died innocently, the prophets of the Lord, killed by those uh, in maybe the house of Israel or the house of Judah, the prophets of the Lord who were slain between the porch and the altar, the priests that were slain in Israel, then the apostles in our Lord's day, and the early church that was cast to the lions under Nero and people like that. Let me think of the reformers and that were slain and burned at the stake. Their, their innocent blood for the word of God and the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's something else it goes to. The innocent in the womb. The innocent in the womb. It's the, the biggest mass scale of murder. Even over all the wars that we have had. The innocent in the womb. What about those who were innocently slain by other men? Maybe car bombs or maybe blown up buildings or someone taken away and shot in the back of the head simply because they were of a different religion. What about those who were innocently slain? God will recall every man and woman's sin up. It will not hold it. It can't hide it. And God will remember it. And those who have not been to Calvary and are saved and blood washed and blood bought, they'll find they'll stand as they are found in their sin or else in Christ. And they'll give an account for their sin. Zechariah chapter 14, our verse 1. Notice our reading. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. Here we find that the Lord is coming at an epoch of time when we have talked about Ezekiel chapter 38 in Russia and Gog and Magog and House of Tagarma and the merchants of Tarshish and all the young lands thereof and all that great battle of the great day of God Almighty. God is coming, but listen, people think God is coming and that is the Lord Jesus Christ is coming and they think it's going to be some sort of picnic. It's going to be some time of blessing for the believers, it is. For those who are saved, it is. But for even for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, it's not. God is coming and he is going to judge all who are not saved by grace through the blood of his son. For example, the term or the name, the Mount of Olives, is used three times in Matthew's gospel, three times in Mark's gospel, four times in Luke's gospel, one time in the gospel of John, one time in the book of Acts, it's called the Mount called Olivet. And twice in our reading, both in verse 4, it's called the Mount of Olives. Very, very significant in history. Very significant in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very significant throughout the scriptures. So this mountain is on the east side of Jerusalem, where the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to. Look at our our reading. Verse 1, Behold the day of the Lord cometh. The word Lord is Jehovah or Yahweh. Behold, the day of Yahweh is coming. Behold, the day of Yahweh. Who is that but God Almighty? Who is that but him and the person of his son coming back again? Verse 4 says, and his feet. So then whose feet? The feet of God. The feet of Yahweh. Yahshua. The feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. And then in verse 5, and the Lord, or Yahweh, my God, my Elohim. Who's Elohim? But the great creator of all the heavens and the earth and everything that is. He's the one who came down, took on flesh. And he's the one who's coming back again. And the Lord, Yahweh, my Elohim, shall come and all the saints with thee. What does the saints mean? But the Kadosh. The Kadosh. And it means those who are holy. Those who are clean and have been cleansed and set apart for God. That is, those who are blood washed. That is, those who are blood bought. Those who belong to Christ. And we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Notice, Luke uses the term the Mount of Olives, as I said, four times. Twice in chapter 19. That's in verses 29 and 37. Once in chapter 21 and verse 37. And once in chapter 22 and verse 39. Will you turn with me to Luke's gospel, chapter 19, please? Luke's gospel, chapter 19. Now, in this chapter, you'll read the story of the the man who was uh, beaten up. Uh, uh, Pardon me, Zacchaeus, the man who came from the tree. Pardon me. And you'll read about the Lord going into his house. And then as you go on down, you'll read about uh, the Lord Jesus says, read if you will, verse 12. And he said, therefore, so I said, did I tell you, Luke 19, 12. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Speaking of himself dying and rising, rising and ascending into heaven and his second coming. Verse 13, and he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him, sent him a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And then in verse 15 he says, And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by his trading. Now, without, for time's sake, he gives ten of them a pound each. The man with ten, one pound, one of them, uh, he comes back with uh, ten pounds of a profit. Another comes back with five pounds. And both times the Lord says to those men, he says that you've done well, paraphrasing for time, be thou, uh, be thou over ten cities and over five cities. In other words, there's place in the kingdom. How you live your life as a Christian will determine your place in the kingdom. And then the man who buried his pound, of course he says, I knew that thou wert an austere man. In other words, he didn't know the Lord at all. So he didn't do anything with it. Notice in Luke chapter 19 and verse 27. Notice what it says. This is what he says at the end of it all. But those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Jesus is saying this. Those who wouldn't say, have me to reign over them. Who refused and rejected Christ? But those who said, we will not have this man to reign over us, not him, but 80, 70. He says, bring them before me and slay them before me. This happened in AD 70. That's right. This happened in AD 70. 
And I fear that will happen again at the second coming if there's not the blood of the Lamb applied. The blood of Jesus, that is. Notice then, he says in verse 28, And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem, and and it came to pass as he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany. Notice, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. Now, if you were to read on there tonight, this is when they go and get the colt for Jesus to ride in that little donkey, that colt, into Jerusalem when they wave the palm leaves. And what do they cry? Hosanna, Hosanna, save, oh, save. Baruch Abba, Adonai, they're crying. Save, oh, save. Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king, they're crying. And there was one of his crimes because Caesar was the king. Caesar was claimed God. And so he was breaking the law according to them. Very important, you stay with me here. It was at the Mount of Olives that this happened. Coming from the slopes of the mount down through the eastern or golden gate. Now, please stay with me while we look at this. In verse 41, please. He's in Jerusalem. He's went in. Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. In verse 38. Verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this day, this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round about, and keep thee in on every side. This is eighty seventy when Titus the Roman prince came. And then he says, And they shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. In other words, here comes Messiah. Here comes the Savior. Here comes Redeemer. Here comes your King. Here comes the God. Here comes the Lord. And you have rejected him. You didn't know the time of your visitation. I trust I'm not speaking to someone tonight who's missing the time of their visitation to get saved. Who's missing the time that you've been brought here and you're not right with God and you're not saved and you're missing the time to get right with God. Maybe fell away from him and you're not ready for his return. Notice, because I knewest not the day of thy visitation. Just for a moment, look at verse 28. Verse 28. And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. Verse 29. And it came to pass when he was come to Bethpage, and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives. Do you see Bethphage? you know what it means? Unripened figs. Unripened figs. And he goes past Bethphage and he goes into Bethany. Then at Bethany, there was a big poor house there. Bethany was a place where Lazarus lived with his sisters Mary and with Martha where Simon the leper brought him for, 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 for dinner. And it's that place where Jesus was anointed with the woman with the alabaster box, all at Bethany. But Bethpage, he didn't stop there. That was the unripened figs. See, the figs are the symbol of jury, J-E-W-R-Y. The figs were a symbol of jury. And he went past the unripened one, and he went right in to Bethany. Bethany means house of misery, but a second rendering of the name means house of ripened dates. 
Here is one fig unripened. Here is another which is ready and ripened. And it's there where Jesus done these miracles. And it's there where Jesus would abide. And in fact, many uh, in Bethany around that area were from the tribe of Benjamin. That's why he stayed in Bethany. There were many Benjaminites there were that where those of jury wanted to kill him. And they felt it was more protective there and he was accepted more there. And that's why he said, it says, the poor received him gladly because of this great poor house. Judas Iscariot said, you could have sold that, that ointment for 3,000 pence and, and give it to the poor. And Jesus says, the poor you have with you always. Why did he say that? It was in Bethany and it was a great big poor house in Bethany. That's why he said that. So you can see now, it, it sort of leans back to Jeremiah chapter 24. Well, we haven't time to go back to it, but the Lord showed the house of Judah before they were carried away into Babylon. And he showed Jeremiah there was good figs and there was bad figs, or he called them naughty figs and good figs. Bad, so bad you can't eat, and good were very good you could. And that showed the different people that were there. Bath page means unripened figs. And he walked right by the unripened figs and he went right into where those others were, where it is the ripened dates, which are obviously like ripened figs. It's very, very, uh, it's very reminiscent of Matthew chapter 21, when the Lord Jesus, on this same week, leaving from the Mount of Olives, and he went in and out. People, so a lot of people think he went from the Mount of Olives in once to Jerusalem that week. He didn't. He went at least three times in and out. At least three different occasions. And it's very reminiscent of Matthew chapter 21 when the Lord comes to the fig tree and there he goes. It's full of leaves and he goes to pick off some fruit of the fig and behold, there's none there. It's just all leaves. And Jesus curses the fig tree, goes into Jerusalem, he's teaching in the temple and he comes back again that night into Bethany or out into the Garden of Gethsemane area and he comes back again that next day and Peter says, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest. It had all shriveled up and died. You know what that was a symbol of? What was going to happen in Jerusalem? What was going to happen to the Jews? In AD 70, just as we're reading here, they were trenched round about. Luke 9, captive. Over a million of them were either slaughtered, maimed or taken away. Captive. You go to Rome today and you'll find a big arch. And it's called the Arch of Titus. And it's engraved into the stone. For Titus the prince came in AD 70 and destroyed Jerusalem. Pulled the temple down. It was set in fire. And the gold went through the bricks. And he pulled it down brick by brick. Just as Jesus said, one stone would not be left upon another. And you can go today and see the arch that they made for this victory they had over the Jews. Please stay with me while I show you this. The, the uh, Mount of Olives is um, on the east side, Bethany's a little further, and then Bethphage is further on. It's more around, Bethany's more around the, the, the north of, uh, pardon me, Bethphage is around the north of, of the Mount of Olives. Now notice this. It says also in Bethany that many of the Jews believed on Jesus there. Can you see the ripened Jews in Bethany? The figs that he was picking? Many of them believed in Jesus there. This is all in the Mount of Olives. Wasn't in Jerusalem. Outside the city. 
Many of the Jews believed in Jesus there. I looked to see how far it would be from Bethany. And it's about 15 furlongs, which is about 1.875 miles. 1.875, so say about 1.9 miles almost, just under 2 miles. And all of this was done at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. Luke 19 and verse 37 says, And when he was come nigh, it was even, and at the descent, notice the descent at the bottom, the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Where was it? Bethany. All of Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Secondly, the significance of the Mount of Olives continues. In Matthew chapter 24, if you'd like to turn briefly with me, please just... I have so much material to show you, and I want to get to the most important bit. Where was Calvary? Matthew chapter 24, and verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from, from the temple. Notice he's in Jerusalem, and he's leaving the temple. And his disciples came for him to show him the building of the temple. You know, they actually got to the point that such a great edifice of the building, and it was full of gold, and when the sun shone on it, it was like a beacon, a light on the top of a hill. That's why he says about a city set on a hill. And they actually got to revere the temple that much. They worshipped the temple rather than the God of the temple. And they say, look at these buildings of this temple. Verse 2. And Jesus said unto them, See, not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. We have talked about that. Verse 3. And as he sat upon, where? The Mount of Olives. The disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming on the end of the world? Notice that. Here's what they ask. First of all, he leaves the temple. Secondly, he sits on the Mount of Olives. And they ask him, when's these things going to be? What's the sign of thy coming on the end of the world, thirdly? So he starts to tell them all of these things. In, for example, John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, that last day, the great day of the feast, that is the Feast of Tabernacles, that's when it was to remind them uh, Israel coming out of Egypt. And they used to build booths and live in them. Little tent, little tabernacles and live in them reminded them that they were in Egypt as, as slaves. And in John chapter 7, the last day, that great day of the feast, that's they had a solemn assembly and they cut, they slayed all the lamb's blood and shed it all. And there they poured out great vessels of water, golden vessels full of water, and there was the blood in the water, typifying the blood of Christ, typifying the final sacrifice when Jesus would die. And Jesus goes on the last day, it was actually on an eighth day, that great day of the feast, and he cries while they're pouring out the water. They used to blow the shofars and they went into a, an rapture of praise. And it was all solemn all, all week. But this one day, it was a rapture of praise. And there, the, the, the people were going to go home the same way they came in because all it did was atone for their sin. It didn't cleanse them like the blood of Jesus would. They go home with their same problems. And Jesus says, it says on that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and crying, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And the people would go home without anything like the Holy Spirit. They would go home with, wasn't that a good time? 
And if church is all that is to you, then you come in and you say, well, if Clark McCartan is a good time, you need to be taking Christ home with you. Living in you. And so it says here that he attends the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And then as we talk, it talks about the Holy Spirit that would come. And in John chapter 8, the next chapter, in verse 1, it says, Jesus went on to the Mount of Olives. John 8 and verse 1, Jesus went on to the Mount of Olives. And in verse 2 it says, And early in the morning he came up again to the temple. He said that in the, at the Feast of the Tabernacles, and he leaves, goes across the brook Kidron, and starts going up into the Mount of Olives. The next morning, he's back down again, you see? He's back in, he's back into the temple again. And he's in to teach them. And Luke chapter 22 and verse 2, the Mount says, And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. So in other words, the, the Gospels are telling us here, the Mount of Olives was very peculiar, particular, very precious to the Lord Jesus. He went, he went out as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And then in Luke 21 and verse 37, it says, And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. Jesus actually slept, lived around the Mount of Olives at times. Do you ever wonder why he said, not just as, as, as he was traveling uh, uh, throughout Canaan land, not as he was just traveling throughout Judea and Samaria and Galilee. Do you ever wonder why he says, foxes of holes, the birds of the air of nests, but the Son of Man is not where to lay his head. Even in Jerusalem, he had nowhere to lay his head, unless he went out to Bethany. So here we have the Lord Jesus in and out to the Mount of Olives. Thirdly, the significance of the Mount of Olives is definitely growing. Mark chapter 4 and verse 14, pardon me, and verse 26, it says, And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. This is when Jesus took the bread in the upper room. The same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, Take it, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And likewise, after the same manner, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the mission of sin. This do ye as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Paul tells us this. The Gospels tell us this. But in Mark's account, Mark tells us that Jesus, after he had broken bread, he started to sing. I'd love to have heard the tones of his voice. Can you imagine what he must have sounded like? It's believed he sang the great Hallel. Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. Listen, off by heart, no PowerPoints, no hymn books, no Torah scrolls with a writing on the side of it. Jesus sang it. Do you know what one of the verses is? In that, this is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, we say, well, it's raining outside or it's cold as it is tonight and it's getting maybe into the minus soon or tonight, later or whatever. And we would say, boy, it's cold and you come in the doors. And we all know what we mean. I'm not condemning that because I do it. Oh, this is the day that the Lord has made, brother. We will rejoice and be glad in it, don't we? You know, we come in and you're soaking wet. Oh, it's a terrible old wet day. This is the day that the Lord has made. That's not what it means. And we all do it. I do it too. That's not what it means. When Christ was going to the cross... This is the day that the Lord hath made. And he is singing it that night in the upper room, breaking bread. This is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood. 
This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Do you know, Calvary was brutal. Absolutely brutal. But for you and I, we can be glad and we can rejoice in what Christ has done for us at the cross. Here we have, they sung in him and went out into the Mount of Olives. In John chapter 18, and verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, that is the brook Kedron, where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, notice this, Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas, how do you know when you went to the high priest to sell Christ for 30 pieces of silver? How did you know in the darkest of nights? How did you know when there was no street lights and all you had was a torch with you? How did you know what direction he went and how did you know where you would find him and how did you know where to take the praetorium guard? Wasn't the Roman soldiers, by the way, as the praetorium guard arrested Jesus? That's the temple guard. How do you know, Judas? Judas could answer, even as John has said, Jesus oft times resorts here. And he resorted with me there too. He's in the garden on the slopes of Mount Olivet. It says in Mark 14 and 32, and they came to a place which is named Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Gethsemane is broken into two Arabic, Aramaic, pardon me, words. Aramaic words. One is gath, which means to press. To press. And the other one is shemen. Shemen means to be fruitful as in oil. The fruit, the oil of a fruit or the juice of a fruit. And here in Gethsemane, all of those olive trees, what they did was take the olives And they crushed them and they used it for the burning of the oil in the temple. Burning off the lamps in their home. You remember the ten virgins, five wives and five foolish? That's where they get the oil from. Places like Gethsemane. That's where it is. A place of pressing the fruitfulness of the oil. Christ went into Gethsemane. He oft times resorted thither there. And Judas Iscariot knew where to find him. And there he came under Severe, severe stress. For example, Mark 14, verses 32 to 42. Let's just read a couple of verses, please. We'll not read too many for time's sake. I would advise you to read it when you go home for yourself. 14, please. I'll just get it myself. Verse 33. And it says, And he taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be sore amazed, to be very heavy, and saith unto them, My soul. Notice, this is the person of Christ here. That's not, we can just glide over this. Let's pause for a minute. This is the person of Christ. And now he's saying, My soul. My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went a little forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, 
the hour might pass from him. Just in a brief snapshot, we talked about this more, I think it was last week. But he began to be sore amazed and be very heavy. Do you know what it means? And I looked up Greek scholars on it to try and give me an idea, a better idea of the words, of what they really meant in the original text. It means this, the terrors exceeded his anticipations. He began to be distressed, the distress which follows a great shock. He began to be in like a confused and a restless and a half-distracted-like state. And that's the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine this? He's a stone's throw away in the garden on the Mount of Olives in Gethsemane. He starts to be, he's like this, he's all over. What am I doing here? All over the place, the stress. Knowing the cross was coming, the, the wrath of the Father was coming on him. Separating from his Father. He's never known the separation from his Father ever. That separation of your sin and my sin was going to come upon him. The dread and the anticipation of it as a man. He knew he was coming to do what he was going to do. He knew all about it. But at this time, it, it really started to get into his mind that the wrath of his Father was coming on him. He had never known this. He had never known what the guilt of sin is like. You know that conviction, brother, sister, that you have? Do you know that time when you do wrong, say wrong, be wrong, live wrong, whatever you do, and you know what's wrong in your heart, and you're, oh, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And you can't forgive yourself, even though you know God's forgiven you. And it, 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 it eats at you. He had never known that. Yet he's took all of ours. Do you know that dread and fear that you would have been in a devil's hell, in a lake of fire, rightly under the justice and judgment of God, if you hadn't have been saved at the cross? All of that came upon him that we might be free. The cross and the, the horrors of it, the nails in his hands and in his feet, the, the crown of thorns driven into his brow, inches, four to six inches in length, the whipping post, the, the very flesh with the Roman flagellum, the, the strips with the, the bone and the lead in it. And as they, stripped, as they whipped into the victim's back and pulled it, it caught into the flesh and tore the flesh off the victim. Every single stripe ripped the flesh off them. And many died at the whipping post. All of this was ahead of him. And then the cross and his father's anger and his father's wrath that should have been yours and should have been mine was placed on him. He thought he's going to die there and then in the garden. That's what it means. I'm going to die here. The terrors exceeded his anticipations. He began to be distressed and the distress follows a great shock, a confused, restless and a half distracted like state. And when it says he fell on his face, I've told you before, it's an improper verb in the original Greek text. That means he fell on his face and he gets up under it and he's half distracted like. And he falls again and he gets up under it and it's still in it. His soul has been encompassed with death. The soul of life. And he gets up again and he falls. It means he gets up again and he falls and he gets up again over and over and over again. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Kuzen, Gethsemane. The place that means pressing for fruitful oil. Luke tells us he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood to the ground. Do you know where he was? Gethsemane. He was in God's olive press. Being crushed like an olive. See, the olive is another symbol of Israel. He's the true Israel. The true Israelite, like he says, I am the true vine and my father is a husbandman. In John 15 and verse 1, it means that Israel had failed. And he says, I am the true Israelite. He kept his father's law that they should have kept. And he lived the father's life that we can't live. And now he's in the garden being crushed in Gethsemane. He went a little further and he fell on his face. Listen to Luke chapter 22 and verse 44. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. Do you know what one, this is actually a medical condition you can find if you look it up. But do you, know what the, do you know what one of the Greek scholars said that I looked up? It was Kenneth Woost. Listen to what he said. That's just very, very, uh, very plain and straight. He says it gives the idea of severe emotional strain and anguish. Jesus was under severe emotional strain and anguish. And it gives the idea of he had to get up and go on like an athlete struggling for victory. He won the battle. He won it all. The Lord Jesus was in God's olive press on the Mount of Olives. And here, fourthly, the significance of the Mount of Olives, he was arrested in the Mount of Olives. Luke 23 and verse 33 says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, in there they crucified him. So here we're going to look at where is Calvary? So he's arrested in the Mount of Olives and he's taken and tried and they send him forth to be crucified. So where is Calvary? Calvary is a a Latin word. Calvary's not the best translation, by the way, although we sing it. Calvary is the word cranium, where you get the word cranium from for your head. For example, Matthew's Gospel 27 and verse 33, Mark 15 and verse 22 John 19 and verse 17 all use the word Golgotha. Golgotha actually has a a, a Chaldean origin and it means head or skull as well. Nevertheless, the two places that are thought of today and revered throughout the world as Calvary. Let's look at them briefly. Then I'm going to give you my deliberation on where I believe Calvary is. First of all, there's the holy, the church, pardon me, of the holy sepulchre. In Jerusalem, there's the church of the holy sepulchre. And let me tell you the story about this. So Emperor Constantine, um, we, we hear of his conversion. It's, he was in, going to the Battle of Milvian Bridge. And that's in the river Tibus, uh, the Tiber River around where Italy is. And... Uh, he was actually going to fight one of his, I think it was his brother. There was a tetrarch, tetrarchy in Rome at the time where there were four uh, uh, different leaders and they were fighting over 
over supremacy. So the Battle of Milvian Bridge and the River Tiber, um, we're told that Constantine, I think his brother was Max in Valius or something, I can't, that might be not the right name, but something like that. And he goes to fight with him, and he says he sees a sign in the sky, a ship of a cross, a fiery cross that says, go forth on this sign, you shall conquer. But he has allegedly then becomes a Christian. Now listen, he brought Christianity, his version of Christianity, and he didn't Christianize the pagan Romanism. He paganized Christianity. <laughs> and that's where the Roman church comes from. He paganized Christianity. Now notice, his mother, Helena, and then she decides, I'm a Christian too. And they decide to send Helena over to the Holy Land. They want to go to Jerusalem and find out where Jesus was crucified. So Helena goes over. She meets one day. What I'm told with were some Jews that were there. And they says, we'll meet you tomorrow and bring you to the place. Now, lo and behold, they bring her to a place the next day and they find a reed. She finds a reed, a sponge. She finds a, a, a tablet with King of the Jews on it. And there was a fourth item. I'll probably forget it. But she finds four items. They just happen to be laying there for over 300 years on the soil waiting on her. She picks it up and she can't wait and she gets away back to Constantine. And so we're told that Constantine wanted to build a church there. But now the site where it was, lo and behold, it happened to turn out that that site was a site where Emperor Hadrian built Hadrian's Wall. Emperor Hadrian had uh, conquered um, some uh, uh, Simon Bar Kokhba and his Jewish revolt, 130-something BC. Can't remember the date, but it's around 132, 35 BC. And so he, he, he quashes and quells the Jews, and that would be between our Old Testament, the New Testament, the wars of the Jews, and, and the Karbakhva revolt, and it's quashed. And what does he do? But he, he builds an altar to Venus. This is the, the pagan Roman emperor. Builds an altar to Venus. And where he builds this, or a temple to Venus, rather, and where he builds this is right where, if you remember, there was a, a, a Jewish high king priest, or pardon me, a king, king priest, and he defeated the Edomites and forced conversion. He, conver- he got them by forcible conversion to change to Judaism. And of course, where that man was buried, where that man was buried, uh, his name is John Harkanus, where he was buried, lo and behold, wasn't this where Constantine decided, and he done that, or Hadrian built that there because he wanted to, uh, he wanted to make a show of the Jews there. Over John Harkanus' grave, Constantine, they said, was from the crown. His mother had found all these parts Lo and behold, the fourth one was a bit of wood they said was from the cross. And brings them all. We're going to plant. Where did you find it, Mom? It was here, right over the Jewish king priest's grave, where Hadrian had, had, had set up the temple of Venus. Lo and behold, didn't they build the church of the Holy Sepulchre? Said it was Calvary. Okay. So it's not that. The second one is where evangelicals uh, and so forth would go and claim it to be uh, Calvary. Because it says three times 
Golgotha, the place of the skull, uh, and once Calvary, which would be uh, cranium or for skull as well, there was a man called General Gordon. And it wasn't until around 1887 or something like that, he goes around and he happens to see this place and it was a hill and it looked like there was eyes and a nose and a mouth. That looks like a, cr- a skull. That must be where Calvary is because there was a garden tomb beside it. I don't want to disabuse you of this, but the garden tomb is about 600 years after Christ. It's not the real garden tomb. Although the, 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 the way it's being built is probably almost the same. And it's in the north of Jerusalem. Sort of north and a little bit west. It's in the north of Jerusalem. Outside the city. And so they decide, here is uh, Calvary. This is where Golgotha is. And in the 17th century, 1610, I think, if my memory's right, around 1610, the, the Turkish Ottoman Empire, uh, they, they decided to do, do a, a, a big map and to draw it all out of all the whole area there. And it was one of those, what do you call those maps when they, they do the whole, all the, the depths of the mountains and all these? Uh, Ordnance Survey Map, thank you. An Ordnance Survey Map in 1610. And guess what? That hill hasn't got any eyes, nose and mouth. It's erosion over the last few hundred years. So it's not that. So where is it then? Stay with me. Stay with me. Identification marks, when you turn with me to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 10. The Hebrew writer says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. Speaking of the temple at the time. Notice, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned. What does it say? Where are they burned? Without the camp or outside the camp. Verse 12. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate or outside the camp, outside the walls. Let us us go, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Now, so everything has to be taken outside. The, The animals were taken outside. Jesus was crucified outside. Okay, so there's one place. It has to be outside the walls. Now, there's a distance. Notice this. Secondly, there's a distance. In uh, Numbers chapter 2 and verse 1, and we haven't time to turn to these. Write them down and read them when you go home. Israel in the wilderness are told to camp or to pitch their tent far off from the tabernacle. Not right next to it, far off. From the tabernacle. So there are three tribes go to the north, three tribes go to the south, three tribes go to the east, east, three tribes go to the west. I'm trying to do it your way around. Go to the east and three tribes go to the west. All under their different banner names. Now, they're told they have to pitch their tents far off from where the Ark of the Covenant is, far off where the glory would come down in the tabernacle. So now we know that also is, as it were, outside the camp. Numbers 35 and verse 5 tells us and says it was to be 2,000 cubits each way they had at least 2,000 cubits. Everybody with me? This is very important. Joshua chapter 3, you can turn to it if you'd like. 
Joshua chapter 3, I'm only going to lift out one verse. What is happening is Israel are going to move and the Lord says, put the staves through the Ark of the Covenant and as they walk, let them go first. The priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant. But there's a distance to stay away from it. Joshua 3 and verse 4, yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits. There's it again, 2,000 cubits. Come not near unto it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way to heretofore. So here he says, stay 2,000 cubits away from the ark as you're walking behind it, and camp 2,000 cubits north, south, east, or west away from it as well. So there's your, your distance. How far is 2,000 cubits? It's approximately 3,000 feet. Cubits usually from the elbow to the top of the fist like this. And it's about a foot and a half, maybe to the top of the hand, some of you. So it can be a little, little bit of variation, but it was 3,000 feet. Now listen to me. From the temple, taking the measurements in the midst of Jerusalem, and you draw a circle of 3,000 feet, you'll find it's outside the city walls. Okay? It's outside the city walls. Now stay with me. There's a type in Second Samuel 15 and 30. It says, And David went up by the ascent of Mount that was with him, and wept as he went, and had his head covered, and went barefoot. All the people that was with him covered every man his head. They went up weeping as they went. And so here is a type of, of King David, the father of Jesus to the flesh. Now David's greater son is going up the same mount, Mount of Olives. Stay with me, we're going a little further here. When Jesus was crucified, if it had been Gordon's Calvary, that, that rock with the holes that looks like a face, it's to the north. It's to the north. This is so important now. It's to the north. When the temple was built, it was facing, I'm trying to find your way, to the east. It's to the north. It faces to the east. And the great curtain that hung down faced the east. It's like I'm facing that wall. So the sun would come up on the east and shine into the temple that was facing the east. Everybody with me? So the sun is up in the east and shines down and comes over toward the west and shines into the temple for the morning sacrifice. And there is the great curtain, the great curtain between separating between God and man. Now notice, when Jesus was crucified, Mark chapter 15 in verse 38 and verse 39, it says, And the, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That veil was maybe eight stories high, nine stories high, like a, a block of flats. Notice, it was rent from the top to the bottom. Verse 39, And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that, notice, when the centurion saw that, what did he see? Of course he saw the sky turn black. He saw, the, he saw the, the agony of Christ. Of course he saw it. But here, Mark is telling us that when the centurion seen the veil of the temple being rent in two. Now listen, if it was Gordon's Calvary with that rock that looks like a face, he's to the north, it's facing that way, he couldn't see it. He couldn't see it. He had to be right where Jesus was with the sun coming up from the east, looking west into the temple 
and the veil being rent in two. And when he saw that, he says, truly this man was the son of God. Are you with me? Doesn't it make sense? It has to be further east. On the day of atonement, and you know, the, the, the red heifer actually typifies the cleansing of blood even greater than a lamb, you know. But nevertheless, that's a study for another time. When they had slain the red heifer, the priest went right out the golden or the eastern gate across the brook Kidron. He went right up into the Mount of Olives. He turned around and he looked at the temple where the, the veil was. He took the blood and he sprinkled it toward Jerusalem seven times. How could he see? Because he was up the Mount of Olives. He looked, and by the way, the, uh, the walls around Jerusalem, the east side's actually a bit lower than the rest of the walls, so the priest could see into the temple. And so he came and he sprinkled seven times the blood. He is with me now. So Jesus is here shedding his blood, hanging and bleeding and dying and Calvary on Golgotha. And if you look at the Septuagint version of the scriptures, you know what it calls the Mount of Olives? The Hill Rosh. Do you hear a word like that before? When the Lord says, speak on to Gog, Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and say, I'm against thee. In the Hebrew, it's the word Rosh. You know what it means? Speak on to the head. <laughs> they call the Mount of Olives in the, in the Septuagint, the hill of Rosh, the hill of the head. So here, the centurion sees the fail of the temple rent. Here is the blood outside being shed. Here is the veil of the temple. And he says, truly, this man was a son of God. So where is Calvary? I believe it's the Mount of Olives. Has to be. There are three Roman rules. One is the, the prisoner must be executed at the scene of the crime. Two, they must be either at the scene of the crime or uh, 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 where they were arrested. So they must, be, uh, they must be executed at the scene of the crime, one, or they must be executed where they were arrested. And thirdly, they must be executed on a busy crossroads to warn everybody else or a busy thoroughfare. From the Mount of Olives coming down from the east and around was the road that came round for all to come to Passover. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 12. Looking over the destruction of Jerusalem, the weeping prophet cries, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow which is done unto me. Wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Speaking in the spirit of prophecy about Christ on the cross. Looking over Jerusalem. So nothing to you, all ye that pass by the way. Do you know what the original text says? So nothing to you, all, all ye that pass by the way. The only way. Here, are, here they are. They've been coming down to slay all the lambs and all the blood. 
And here was the Lamb of God shedding his blood once and for all. And he could cry, Is it nothing to you, all ye who pass it? My Father, behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. Wherewith Yahweh, my Father, hath afflicted me, his Son, in the day of his fierce anger. And at Calvary in the very garden at the foot of, the, of, of, of Mount Olives in Gethsemane. There he knew that this would be the wrath of his Father on him rather than be upon you and I. He was crucified at the scene of his crime. When we came down the donkey in Luke 19, here's the king. Oh, there's a crime. So you have to kill him because Caesar wouldn't like that. He was arrested on the Mount of Olives because it was in Oliva and Gethsemane. There's the scene of the crime. He was crucified by a busy thoroughfare because they were all going by the way. In the Mount of Olives. Say us lastly, thank you for your attention. It's been long, but I knew it was going to be a big subject. Fifthly, the significance of the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter 1 and verse 12 says and they, that Jesus, risen from the dead, went to the Mount of Olives with his disciples and was taken up from, him, from them. And a cloud received them out of their sight. And two men says, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come again in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. And notice this. Acts 1 and 12 says, And they returned unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. Now here's your final bit. A Sabbath day's journey. How far was it? 20 miles? No. Because it was different on a Sabbath day. Sabbath day's journey was about two-thirds of a mile. About two-thirds of a mile. So they took him out a Sabbath day's journey to crucify him, out to the Mount of Olives, out to the east, that he could look back at the temple. You know how you know it's two-thirds of a mile? Do you know how far 3,000 feet is? Almost two-thirds of a mile. Almost two-thirds of a mile. In our reading it says... That his feet are coming back to that mountain again. That he's going to come in that day. And there's going to be those that are going to be standing before him in judgment. May God bless his word to us. I trust this has been informative to you. And helpful because when I read this stuff I just see it coming together and I say Lord you're amazing. Absolutely amazing. Do you know the saviour? Do you love the Savior? Are you walking with the Savior? You know, I've never had any big unction to go to the Holy Land, but I've found in recent times I have that I want. I know some of us have been there. Some of us could nearly have lived there. You have been there that much, especially you, Jennifer. But there's some have been there quite a bit, and I've never been. Next to hear my pastor saying. I'm thinking of moving to the Holy Land. Nice to think you meant South Belfast. <laughs> thinking of moving to the Holy Land. He says, I want to be there when he comes. And he went over all the with bog gas. And they'd done a video there. All they ever wanted to do was to sit in the Mount of Olives. I know why. 
And as I get older, I want to go and sit in the Mount of Olives. I just want to sit in, it's only a mountain, but something about it. Because he, he walked there, he slept there, he prayed there, he sweat drops of blood there, he was arrested there, he was crucified there, and he's coming back to there. I just love to go and see it. He's beautiful, isn't he? And he's wonderful. God bless us tonight. I know it was long, forgive me, but uh, I needed to get it all out because I thought if I broke it up into two nights, it would be just hard to fit together again. May God bless his word to us. Team, would you come up, please, Mo?